It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. William Penn once said, The jealous are troublesome to others, but a torment to themselves. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us anytime with your feedback or questions at ChristianQuestions.com and all of our social media channels. Dig deeper after this episode by downloading our comprehensive CQ Rewind show notes. It's a visual and contextual map for everything we cover. That's on our website and in our weekly newsletter. Plus, check out our YouTube channel. We put out cool content for all age groups with new videos every week. So, Jonathan, how are you? What's happening? What's going on? What are we talking about? Well, Rick, our question is, am I a jealous Christian? And our theme text is found in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 3. For you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? So the subject matter is, am I a jealous Christian? But Jonathan, before we get into that, I just wanted to pause for a moment and recognize the tragedies that just happened in the last several days uh, with the two shootings, one in El Paso, Texas, and the other in Dayton, Ohio. You know, situations like this arise, and we look around and we we get a sense of, you know, why does God let these kinds of things happen? What What is wrong with us? What are we missing? And it's such a tragic uh, process to have to, 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 to go through and see how just innocent people who are not doing anything to offend anybody, just have their lives snuffed out by somebody who's, who's off. And a lot of times we wonder, you know, why? There are a lot of really good answers for that. And we've done several podcasts that, that address that, but we, now's not the time to give the answers. Now is the time to, to let people know that we recognize the pain and suffering and uh, be assured of our thoughts and prayers and be assured that one day, instead of hearing about mass shootings, by God's grace and through God's kingdom, we will be here about mass life being brought back and mass reunions and not shootings. So just wanted to mention that before we get started. So once again, our subject for today is, am I a jealous Christian? And folks, look, jealousy and envy are often very secret sins. We invite them into our lives and we harbor them deeply in our hearts where they fester and grow. One day we look around and if we're observant, we realize that we're seeing our world through different and now damaging eyes. Jealousy and envy not only damage our personal character and outlook, they can easily damage our relationships and our perceptions of others as well. So coming up in today's podcast, is there a solution to envy and jealousy? How do we personally conquer this? In our second segment, we're going to begin a journey into a well-defined process to put envy and jealousy away. How about this? Are envy and jealousy innate flaws that will always be there? Is it just a matter of controlling what's natural? In segment three, we look at the foundation of where these things come from so we can better target their destruction. Or is there any such thing as good jealousy? Can that even be possible? 
Well, you might be surprised. Our fourth segment shows us the answer, and there is great power in it. And finally, what are the hardest and yet most effective things we can do to rid ourselves of envy and jealousy? Segment five lays out that challenge and shows us the results. So, Rick, what brings us to the place where these things creep in and take hold of our very lives? How do we recognize them and how do we take steps to not only fight back, but overcome and defeat them? Jonathan, those are big questions. And so in order to answer such big questions, we had to bring in uh, the the big, powerful answer machine. So we have Becca with us. (laughs) Becca is a a, a CQ contributor. Uh, Becca, welcome to Christian Questions. Thanks for being with us. Happy to be here. And just, (laughs) yeah, I know I embarrassed you just there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So just, Becca, really, really quick, what do you do for CQ? Just very quickly, and then we got to get back to our subject matter. Sure. Uh, I do a couple different things for CQ. Uh, One of the main things that I focus on is our YouTube channel. I have a hand in all of the videos that we produce on there. Uh, uh, The other thing I do a lot of work with is social media, so managing all of our different social media accounts and uh, making sure that they're inspirational and get people thinking about the Bible. So uh, those are my big tasks. Okay, and they are big tasks. So you may be wondering, okay, so what's Becca got to do with this this jealousy thing? Well, we're going to get to that in just a couple of minutes, but thanks, Becca, for uh, being willing to be with us today. Uh, Jonathan, let's let's scripturally define jealousy and envy, okay? Some of the words translated envy and jealousy can actually have very positive meanings as well as negative ones. We're going to look at the positive meanings a little bit later. Let's now focus on the negative meanings. There's two primary words very closely related for envy and jealousy in the New Testament. Jonathan, what are they? Well, zeal in a favorable sense, ardor in an unfavorable one, jealousy as of a husband or an enemy, malice. Okay, that's not very nice. No. And the the other word? The other word is to have warmth of feeling for or against. Okay, warmth of feeling for or against. Let's take a look at, very quickly, two scriptures that use each one of those words. Romans 13, 13 uses that first word, zeal or unfavorable jealousy as of a husband. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, nor in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Okay, let us not walk in envying, you know, jealousy as that of a husband, okay, that kind of thing. We shouldn't be doing that. James 4, 2 uses the other word that have warmth or feeling for or against. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because... You ask not. I didn't hear jealousy or envy there. No, Rick. The word desire to have is how they translated that word jealousy. Oh, okay, so you've got this, 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 this passion, if you will, for something. That's really what it's talking about. Those two words can be good or bad. The next few words that we're looking at are always bad. And there's actually three words, two of which are almost identical. What are those three words, just Jonathan? Quickly, what are their definitions? Ill will, jealousy. Uh, to be jealous of and uh, jealousy and ill will again. Okay, so Ma- uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 10 has to do with this ill will and jealousy. For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. Okay, um, for envy, for ill will. The chief priests delivered Jesus because they didn't like him. That's the envy that we're going to be talking about. The next word is only used once in the scripture, and it's Galatians uh, 5.26. 
Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. And again, being jealous of one another. So what we're getting a sense of, Jonathan, is jealousy is not a good thing. We're, no. we're, we're looking at these things and it's like, wait, 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 this doesn't, not, none of this seems to fit correctly. Rick, it even kills. Okay, you're right, it does. And, you know, when you, when you get to something like that, you got to say, wait, wait, let's, let's back up and reconsider. And finally, Matthew 27, 18, another example, and then we're going to open this thing up. For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. And so Jesus knew that they were envious, and that's why they delivered him. Not because he did anything wrong. So that's where envy fits into our lives. And we've got to ask ourselves, is that the way I ever operate? And I will tell you folks that we probably operate on that basis a lot more than we'd like to believe. So this is going to be one of those look-in-the-mirror subjects as we try to define what all of this means. We're going to go to a soundbite from Teal Swan on jealousy and envy, how to deal with it, because she gives a really good couple of definitions for the two words that we're looking at, envy envy and jealousy. And we're going to use those, and then Becca is going to start to tell us some, some stories about how these things can wreak havoc in our lives. So let's go to the soundbite first. People think that jealousy and envy are one and the same, when in fact there are some key differences between them. In reality, envy is the emotion that occurs when we experience an extreme desire for something that someone else has, whether it's a quality, achievement, or possession, but we don't think we can have it. Jealousy is the emotion that occurs when we anticipate or feel the loss of something of great value to us, whether it be a quality, achievement, or possession. In other words, one exists when we wish to keep what we have, and the other occurs when we want to get what we don't have and in either case, we feel powerless to do so. Why do these emotional states feel so similar? Because they are both the emotional reflection of lack. The lack of something intensely wanted or needed. And sometimes you can feel jealousy and envy at the very same time. Okay, so she defines envy as the emotion that occurs when we experience an extreme desire for something or some, something someone else has and jealousy, the emotion that occurs when we anticipate or feel the loss of something of great value to us. Closely related, they can be separate, they can work together. So look, there's really no better way to fight this fight than watching someone who's been in the middle of it and found the life-changing solutions that gave them victory. And folks, that's why Becca is here today. And Becca, I have to say, before we even start the story, it takes a lot of courage to publicly talk about this struggle in your own life. Why are you doing that? <laughs> I'm really crazy, apparently, because I am openly admitting a sin to the entire world or yeah. anyone who's listening. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I will admit, it was not easy to, to agree to do this, but um, one of the things, and, and for the same reason that I did the last podcast I was on is... As you and I talked, you really brought up the idea that I had the potential to help other people now that I'm on the other side of it. And so that's really why I'm here to talk. Okay, so you have had a serious battle with envy and jealousy. So tell us the story of the battle. So uh, the last time I was on the podcast uh, was uh, maybe a year and a half ago. It was on podcast 1011, which was how do you find your way through grief? And that was uh, in that podcast, I talked about uh, my desire to have a child, uh, my husband and I, and we tried for years and it was not something that was going to happen for us. And it was something that 
like was said in that definition, I intensely desired. And so I went through a process of grieving. And after I had grieved, things were kind of changing in the way that I felt and perceived the world. Uh, particularly, uh, and I think this is very common, that uh, there were people around me that, you know, I'm in my mid to late 30s, and lots of my friends were also having kids. Um, and even while I was uh, still trying and we had not found an answer yet where we weren't sure if we'd be able to have kids or not, um, at the time I was teaching in a high school and I had two different students that got pregnant. Now they're teenagers. So these are people who are not in a place in their life where this is a choice that they are actively wanting to make. Um, one of them chose to keep the child and the other chose to have an abortion. And that was really tough for me uh, you know, this is something that I really wanted that they had and they, it wasn't the right time. And that I really feel like was the start of where these jealousy seeds were sown, where they were planted. And, you know, over time that, that sort of developed. So as, after I had found out that we wouldn't be able to have kids, particularly at the time, there were two coworkers who were pregnant and that was their second child from and uh, they would talk about the pregnancy all the time. And it would just, it just really got to me to the point where sometimes I would have to leave the room because I would, I would get these twinges of jealousy or just pure sadness because it was something that I really wanted and I knew that wasn't going to happen for me. So, you know, this kind of thing just, it just kept growing within me. And, you know, subsequently other people around me, other friends and that kind of thing were also becoming pregnant because that's just something that happens again at this time in life. And, you know, one of the things that reflecting back on it now that I, I really think about is that when you feel jealous, it starts to feel like the world around you, that everyone and everything is purposely trying to make you feel bad. Like <laughs> everyone and everything is like, oh, I'm pregnant and I'm pregnant, you know, and that's not reality. It's not reality, right? It's making the world about you. And that's, that's clear to me now. Um, I think it really peaked when two very close friends of mine announced their pregnancies. And I just came to this realization, you know, for the next 10 years or so, I'm not going to be able to escape this issue that there are going to be people that are having th this joyful moment in their life. And it's going to be something that I'm going to have to deal with those feelings over and over again. And then even after that, they have families and right, this, right. this life that I had desired. So I had this really profound sadness about it and it felt totally unfair, which is again, one of those ways. And, and I'll talk about this later too, is just how you justify jealousy in your own mind. Mm -hmm. And I just realized I don't want to feel like this the rest of my life, especially when it's your friends. You know, you really right. start to feel and recognize this is this is bad. This is this is ugly. This this feeling that I have inside. And, you know, it, it, you mentioned that it's a secret sin because you know, I have a feeling that some of my friends had no idea that I necessarily felt this way. And I didn't want them to know because it's embarrassing. Um, but I realized I had these two light bulb moments where I, I, ha I realized that this was out of control. And one of them was actually talking to you, Rick, because you took a, a, an interest in me and my life. And you asked, probably out of the blue, a couple months, you know, after things had gone by after the podcast, how I was doing. And you wanted to sit and talk. And 
when I really reflected on that, I think that's when it really started to mix in my mind that it wasn't just grieving that I was feeling, that it was mixing with some other things. And that sort of awakened this idea in my head that there was something going on. The, the second light bulb was, you know, as I'm sort of mulling over these kinds of thoughts and feelings as, um, and, and we'll read the full scripture later, but there was a, I was sitting at church on Sunday and someone brought up the scripture in Romans seven fourteen, and we'll read this towards the end of the podcast. I don't want to read it now because it's kind of lengthy, but that scripture just, it would, it just clicked. It was all of a sudden acknowledging I don't want to be this way. I don't want to feel this way, but I have to do something about it. I have to not just acknowledge that there is sin in me, that I, but there is a process that I have to go through to get rid of it because I don't want this running my life. Man, <laughs> folks, understand the power of honesty and integrity. And sometimes we're broken in a broken moment or a broken period in our lives. And to be able to look and say, something's got to give, something's got to change. That's what we're talking about today with a subject that affects every one of us, that of envy and jealousy. Look, it seems like the hole that envy and jealousy dig is dark and deep. It is scary to see how easy it is to access. Once you figure out that you are in trouble with envy and jealousy, how do you climb out of it? We're excited to be hearing from our growing listening audience at ChristianQuestions.com through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also chat with us now during the live broadcast. You know what would be really awesome? If you can leave us a review when you subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and others. It helps us reach even more people. Thank you for subscribing and reviewing. Now, let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. As with any difficult issue we have in life, realizing that it exists is a major first step in solving the process. There are many things that come into play here as we battle our emotions. After all, who wants to admit that they're envious and jealous? The temptation is to just ignore it, and that is not a good plan. And Becca is with us today talking about why that's not a good plan and how to overcome that step by step by step. It is a battle and it does take a lot of work. Jonathan, before we get back to Becca, really good quote from Charlie Reese. If malice or envy were tangible and had a shape, it would be the shape of a boomerang. And I think that as Becca tells her story, we're going to see more of that, 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 that thought that it just comes around and, and hits us in the head, if you will, if we don't do something about it. So Rick and Becca, an important question. Is there a solution to envy and jealousy? How do we personally conquer this? All right. So Becca, in our conversations and in talking about doing this podcast, you had sent me a bunch of notes that you had compiled in this journey toward putting envy and jealousy in their place, and which is not part of your life. And you had these several steps of solutions that we're just going to go through methodically as we go through our podcast. So the first Becca solution for envy <laughs> and je jealousy is to take a social media break. Becca, what do you mean by take a social media break? Everybody loves social media. Yes. 
uh, it's important for us to take a social media break. I think just in general, but particularly when you are at a point uh, where you're feeling jealous. And, and I do want to bring up very briefly that a lot of these steps are overlapping, mm-hmm. that they overlap and, and, and it's not just a one and done. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things that I, I have just recently kind of gone back on social media after not being on it for six or seven months. And so wait, wait, I, wait, know, wait, 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 six or seven months. Yeah. So yeah, I, that's when you say take a break, you mean take a break. I do. I do. Okay. And even after it was one of those things where like, even after I felt like, I think I have overcome this feeling. I was like, no, you know what? I think this is a really healthy thing for me anyway. Um, just in terms of, uh, things that I didn't think were a big deal that, that I think just naturally tend to come up with, uh, jealousy. I mean, part of social media is about, uh, showing the best, of the best of what your life is Mm -hmm. and cultivating what that image is. I mean, there's Instagram influencers and that's their whole job, right? Is, is to make it look like this is so great and so important. This is going to be the thing that makes you happy. Um, And social media, there's, there was a study done. um, And this is an article from the BBC said they looked at 600 different adults and they said that after they uh, gave them this survey, they found that a third of them said that social media, after consuming it, gave them negative emotions and mainly frustration and that envy was the cause. It was triggered mainly by comparing their lives to others, which, you know, it, comparing your life to others, we know we're not supposed to do it, but it almost feels inevitable. And when you go on social media, it's like just opening Pandora's box and saying, what's everyone else doing? Oh, wow, that looks great. And I wish I could do that and wear that and be there. So it's it just opens up this whole issue. So I, I wanted to actually go to our soundbite now, if that's okay with you, and listen to that and then talk a little bit more about what this uh, looks like and why it's so bad for us. Okay, so you're talking about taking a break from social media and, and a significant break so that you can break a cycle in your own head and heart. And that's the, that's the thought behind it. We're going to go to The Beat by Alan Parr, The Secret of staying, uh, of uh, Slaying Envy and Jealousy. And it's interesting, Becca, you have six points that you want to make in our podcast. He's got five points in, in this particular podcast. And it's amazing how the two of you just dovetail together so well. So here's his first point. This is the what he calls the happiness lie. So today I just want to give you five things to consider when dealing with this issue of envy and jealousy and how God can actually use it to grow you into a better person. Number one is what I'm calling the happiness lie. And here I want to strongly encourage you to reject the idea that if I only had what I see other people having, then and only then will I truly be happy. You know, this is one of the things that the enemy uses to keep us chasing after everything except God. Okay, I had to cut him off there because he just keeps on going. But, you know, Satan does use the desire and social media fuels that desire. So, so Becca, yeah. go ahead, continue. Absolutely. I, it, social media has gives us a sense that the grass is always greener, that if I just had this, then I, I mean, I really love what he says, that if you just had this one thing, that would be make you happy, right? That there's always this unattainable, like, well, this is the thing, this is the thing. And social media just sort of enhances those things. And so for me, you know, knowing that 
it was challenging for me to be on social media and people showing pictures of their beautiful families and their children who don't cry and you know how <laughs> yeah, everything no. looks like a it's you know from a catalog it it just is not it was not the kind of mindset that i knew would be helpful and healthy in that moment to move past jealousy so, you know, you have that sense that you're looking at the perfect life, and you're right. On social media, nobody has their kids crying. So it's, right. o- it's, it's always perfect. And, right. and that perfection is not real. And so that fed that sense of, look, you had a legitimate issue because you've always wanted children, and you couldn't have them. And so now what do you do? You you end up basking in everybody else's glory and all of a sudden that glory turns into something gory in your own head. It's like right. this isn't a this isn't where we ought to be. Scripturally, we the scriptures help us understand and put all these things in perspective. Jonathan, let's look at Galatians 5:19 to 26. We'll break take it in a few pieces. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that was an amazing mouthful. And in in all of that mess, we had a couple of those words for jealousy and envy jumping up at us. Jealousy and, and envying from verses 20 and 21. So they're a part of these things that can keep us from inheriting the kingdom of God. So folks, let's get it straight right here. If you think that, well, I've, I'm a little envious, a little jealous, but it's okay because I won't tell anybody. Look at what the scripture says. Those are the things that can keep us from the kingdom. Are you willing to take that chance in your walk of faithfulness? Jonathan, the other side of the coin is verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And you know, I, I think if we took all of those fruit of the Spirit and we applied them to the study of envy and jealousy, we would see how each piece of that would be a really powerful uh, healing agent in terms of getting us on the right track. And then let's just finish with verses 24 to 26. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk also by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And so the envy comes out again at the end of these verses. So the envy and the jealousy are not only in that awful list, But at the end, the apostle reminds us we've got to be careful of these things. So with each of your points, Becca, we have uh, sort of a summation, uprooting jealousy and envy. And, you know, to understand a whole story, you need to know the who, what, when, where, why, and how of the story. So we're going to take one of those pieces and apply it to each part, each lesson that you're bringing us. So in relation to taking a social media break, Jonathan, what's our uprooting jealousy and envy point? Know who you are as a called-out, spirit-driven follower of Jesus. Our mission in life is to be a copy of the selflessness of Jesus. And Becca, you know, you had mentioned that in your when you were telling your story and, and how the jealousy and the envy began to grow. You said, you know, this is not this does not belong in me. 
because you, you understand your life is about something bigger. So those of us who have Christianity and our, our faith really working with us, we need to understand who we are, and these things just have no home here. So you said to take a break from social media, and you took a huge break. I mean, when you said take a break, I'm thinking, okay, you take a couple of weeks off. But you say, you're saying it took months to help you put things in order. Okay? The second point, your second solution is what? So my solution is that you need to release what your life was going to be or supposed to be. Okay, so release the thinking, the dreams, I I suppose, is is kind of what you're saying, about what Mm -hmm. you expected your life to become. Right. Okay, explain that. How do you release that if it's a dream? How do you say, okay, I'm not going to dream that dream? Right. So a part of that is is accepting and God's will and releasing our own, because that's really what it comes down to, is that we have set things up in our lives like this is the way that my life is going to be, because these are the things I want. However, so, and, and they're not always bad things. However, at the end of the day, it's about God's will and knowing what, or figuring out what that is for yourself. And not just that, but it's also sometimes societal expectations that we figure like, well, now is I've gotten married and I am happy and I have a house and now I will have children. You know, it's that 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 is not how life is. Life is not, you know, what what we what it's supposed to be according to the movies and television shows. It's different for everyone. And so it's it's about accepting it. And, it, and it's not just about saying, yes, I accept God's will, because that is very, very easy to say. I will say that over and over. Yeah. It is hard work to really, and I think this was probably one of the last things that I let go when I really let go of my own will of saying, I'm okay with whatever you have for me, God. I think that's one of the hardest things to do. Okay, go ahead. I I, I was going to say, and part of it is also recognizing that Satan is working with you on all of this. And so I I think this is a perfect time to go to the soundbite. Okay, so um, accepting God's will instead of your own, even if it is contrary to what you were looking for. And that, you're saying, is where the biggest struggle is. And again, you're fighting against a real, you're not fighting against some fancied idea. You're fighting against a very natural thing about wanting to have children, not being able to have children, and saying, I'm good with that, when you don't want to be good with that. That's, that's, that is tough stuff. So let's go back to the beat, uh, Alan Parr, his, and um, the um, Envy and Jealousy, The Secret of Slaying Envy and Jealousy. And his second point is, Point number two, the measuring stick syndrome. Number two is what I'm calling the measuring stick syndrome. And this is the idea that the enemy would love nothing more than for you and I to spend our entire lives comparing ourselves and measuring ourselves up against what we see and think other people have. And what ends up happening is whenever we are at those critical times in our lives where we are most vulnerable, the enemy will allow something to be said to you that will discourage you, making you think that your life sucks because you don't have what somebody else has. And it keeps us in a pattern of comparing ourselves and measuring ourselves up against other people's success. That's tough stuff. And and that's exactly what you said you had to come to grips with and do. Right. Right. Okay. I, you know, I think I really love he says in there that 
he mentioned Satan specifically because we have to remember that Satan is specifically working in our lives to make our lives harder. That, you know, certainly it is sin within ourselves, but don't think that Satan is out of the picture on this. He is finding ways to make these things more difficult. So he, this idea of comparing your life, you know, to someone else, which dovetails perfectly with social media, is he wants you to think your life sucks. That, well, because you didn't get this thing, there's something now wrong with your life and you have to spend the rest of your life sulking over it. But we can't do that. If we've decided that our life is not our own, that if we've decided we want to give our life to God and serve him, then we can't spend our life sulking. We have work to do. So instead of that, we should be asking, okay, God, what's next? What do I do instead? What other opportunities are out there? And I just want to mention very briefly, you know, one of the podcasts that I really appreciated uh, was podcast 1041, How Do You Bloom Where You're Planted? Because that's exactly what it is. Once you accept what God's will is, then you say, okay, God, what do I do instead? How can I thrive here instead? And see, the big, the key word there is instead. How can I replace what I want with what you will have me to be or to do? A great scripture on that is James 4, 13 to 16. Jonathan, let's do 13 13 and 14 first. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You know, it's, it's fascinating to me how we can go struggle with things and we come to that realization saying, okay, I'm getting it. And it's all the while. It's all, all, always been written right there in the text. No kidding. Yeah. It's, it's, it's instruction it's, manual we've been given. Yeah. And, and, but you know, sometimes the instructions don't jump out at you until you are ready to receive them. So now let's follow James' thought, you know, saying, look, you got to be careful with what you're thinking about what you're going to do. Verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. If the Lord wills. And Becca, that's really what you were saying. It's, it comes down to what is God's will for me, even if it means not having something that I have looked forward to my entire life. And, and I know that you looked forward to it your entire life because you and I talked about this and it came out. And folks, I might add, Becca's being <laughs> extraordinarily courageous doing this, but through the tears of the description, it came out how much of a desire this was for you. And I will never forget the, 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 the struggle to, to get your head around it and say, I know I've got to get further than I am. And if it means giving up that core, core desire, then I got to find a way. And that's how we have to go about this battle. You know, how often is our plan for our future based on how we feel and what we really think should be happening in our lives? We're delivered from all of that. One other scripture, Titus chapter 3, verses 3 and 5. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. And Becca, I will add that as you went through this process, that's what I was able to observe, is that he saved you 
because you wanted him to. And, and you know, that, 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 that the mercy and the washing of, and the renewal by God's spirit, it helped you think on a different level to achieve different things and be able to stand up when you were getting beaten down. And that, folks, this is a hard, hard battle, the one where, that happens inside our head where nobody sees for envy and jealousy. Uh, Jonathan, uprooting jealousy and envy for this, this particular point. Know that your when is entirely in God's hands. Sometimes his answer is later, and sometimes the answer, this is not for you. I have something else instead. So God's when may be never, and his when may be later. We don't get to choose between those things, but we need to be accepting of either of those things. And Becca, you said that that was a really hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think part of it is we can't see the roadmap for our life. God sees that, but we don't see that. And I think that's what's really hard, especially I'm a planner. I like to know <laughs> where I'm going. I like to plan it all out. And so this is I, this is one of those lessons I think I'm going to be learning my entire life is understanding how to give up my own will and accept whatever God has in store for me. And folks, this is it's easy to say, but it is not easy to do. So envy and jealousy actually attack and pick apart our very core. Makes you think, be watchful and careful. How do we fight our own fallen nature, which gives envy and jealousy logical reasons to take hold? Have you seen our CQ Kids videos? They're short, animated, and fun stories that use the Bible to answer actual kid questions. Subjects range from Jesus to prayer and thankfulness to the hard stuff like Satan and dying. They're perfect for starting a Bible discussion at home or a short story before bedtime. They're also an entertaining way to begin a Sunday school lesson. Watch all the inspirational CQ Kids videos. Go to ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, what's next, Rick? This is a really powerful point, is our pre-programmed thinking and emotions that have been shaped by a lifetime of experiences have immense power and influence in our daily life. These well-established habits and expectations pose the greatest challenge to our efforts to be in control of and then rid of envy and jealousy. And, and folks, again, with us is Becca, CQ contributor, uh, who has had an incredible battle with envy and jealousy through her, her recent life because she was uh, declared unable to have children. And it's something that she looked forward to, and her, she and her husband looked forward to, you know, for their entire married life. And then all of a sudden, you, you're told you can't. And it's like, well, wait, wait, why not? And then when everybody else is having children, you wait, 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 this is something that I'm, I'm wired for, and yet I'm, I can't? And envy and jealousy builds quietly and corrupts quietly, and all of a sudden your life is backwards. And Becca is with us talking about the journey from that backwards life to a journey of a victorious life in Christ, and it's a really inspiring story. Jonathan, before we get back to Becca, a really quick quote from Lawrence Durrell, and then I think you have another question. It is not love that is blind, but jealousy. And that is true. And Becca, I'm sure you're going to comment on that in just a moment. But um, go ahead, Jonathan, question? Yes. To better understand these enemies, are envy and jealousy innate flaws that will always be there? Is it just a matter of controlling what's natural? 
So this is an interesting question. Is it something that's just, okay, look, it's just always going to be there. You just learn to control it and, and kind of move along to, 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 to get along and, and just kind of tolerate the fact that it's there, like being hungry. You're on, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm always hungry or most of the time, you know, like is it, is, is jealousy like that? Is it always going to be there? Well, look, human nature has built within it envy and jealousy. And we've got a soundbite from we're hardwired to be jealous. But why? And it's by uh, an organization called Seeker. This is really interesting. It's about a study done on monkeys. And I think, Becca, you had a couple of things you wanted to say about this once we play it. But jealousy is a hard emotion to study, at least in people. Researchers know that animals are easier to control in a lab, but people aren't always truthful when they give their answers. That's why a team of researchers based their new study on coppery TV monkeys. This is a monogamous primate species that forms strong bonds with their partner as well as mate guarding that's similar to romantic behavior in humans. To see what jealousy does to their brain, the researchers introduced what they called jealousy conditions. They put males in view of their female partner and introduced her to another male. As a control, the same male monkey was made to watch a pair of unknown monkeys interact. In both cases, the male was filmed during the viewing and given a brain scan after watching the others for half an hour. In the lab, as in the wild, TD monkeys were visibly agitated when confronted with a rival for their mate. They arched their back, lashed their tails, and put their hands on their female to keep them in place. The brain scan showed hormonal changes associated with this behavior. Heightened activity in the cingulate cortex, which is associated with social pain, as well as elevated levels of testosterone and cortisol, indicating stress. I don't know, Becca, that sounds like pretty human, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, because you, you think about they're watching their mate, right? So they're yeah. justified in their jealousy, like, hey, man, back off. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that she's with me, you know, yeah. and I think that's frequently how we can think, like, well, I'm justified. It's it's natural. So I think that's where we have to be so careful, allowing our brains to go down that road. Okay, so there is a natural element, but it just because something's natural doesn't right. mean it's good. And, right. and, and Proverbs 14, 29, and 30 really nails that idea. He that is slow to anger is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. A tranquil heart is the life of the flesh, but envy is the rottenness of the bones. I don't know. That's pretty descriptive. Envy is the rottenness of the bones. I don't know what rottenness of the bones looks like, but it doesn't sound good. No. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So, so Becca, you know, we've gone through a couple of your, your solutions for your own issue in dealing with jealousy in your, in your recent past. And your third solution is to change the tapes in your head. What do you mean? So, and I was told that maybe the tapes was too, too old fashioned that people might not know what that is. So I know what it is. I mean, I'm good with that. (laughs) Uh, But the recordings in your head, right? So we have, we have things that we tell ourselves or or familiar thought patterns. Sometimes they're comforting, sometimes they're not. But the idea is, is that we have this ability to control our thoughts. Sometimes we think we don't. We say, well, this thought just entered my mind. It's, it's what you do with it once it's in your mind, right? That you can, you have a choice. If you have some kind of an evil, sinful, bad thought that comes into your mind, you have a choice as to what you decide to do next. And this is kind of where I think jealousy starts. It starts in your head. And when you start to recognize 
that that's what that is. You, you might also notice some physical responses, right? How do you how do you physically respond to that? And how far do you let that sort of go? And those physical responses, I think, can sometimes serve as a personal check. Right. Mm-hmm. Like what are what am I is is this just a passing thing or how am I is my heart beating faster? Is my stomach kind of turning? Is you know, I'm starting to feel something. You know, these these kinds of thoughts can be really easy and sneaky to let in. You know, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up because we have those physical symptoms, if you will. And if we are trying to be godly, we should be looking at those physical symptoms and asking ourselves, why is, why is my stomach turning right now? Why does my heart feel like it's going to jump out of my chest any second? There's got to be some reason for that. And that can help us. That can be an alert to move forward. Or we can say, well, that's my natural inclination. I'm going to follow it. Right. right. And, and as Christians, we should, not, we should be battling against almost all of our natural incl- inclinations, other than maybe love for another human being. You know, pretty much everything else, we're, we're fallen, sinful people, and so we should be fighting against all of that stuff. So change the recordings in your head. You know, they're very comfortable, even if they're, they're not comforting. They're comfortable. Right. And the idea is to observe them and say, wait, is this appropriate? Is this godly? Let's go to uh, the beat, uh, Alan Parr, The Secret of, uh, to Slaying Envy and Jealousy. His third point, yours was change the recordings in your head. His third point is the mirror principle. Number three is what I'm calling the mirror principle. And this is the idea that God can use our jealousy to reveal certain things that are going on inside of our hearts. For instance, one of the things is that it reveals the idols that are in our lives. And so if this is something that I'm thinking about constantly, I'm consumed with, and my whole entire life is wrapped around pursuing this thing, it can reveal that I am more interested in pursuing this thing than I am in my relationship with God, which means that this desire has become an idol in my life. Not only does it reveal the idols in our lives, but it also can uncover some pride that's going on in our hearts because oftentimes we want what we see because it makes us feel better about ourselves and it actually makes us feel better around other people, which is an indication that there is some pride going on in our lives that we need to deal with. He said a mouthful. And, and Becca, before I get your, your response on that, let's go to the scripture in 1 Samuel. You mentioned this scripture to me because this is a classic example of exactly what we're talking about. Having the recordings in your head bring you to a place of self-destruction. This is King Saul in the Old Testament falling prey to his own pride and insecurity, which resulted in a raging jealousy against David. And we're just going to kind of reference this, not spend a lot of time, but First Samuel chapter 18, verses 5 through 9. Jonathan, let's just start with verse 5. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered, and Saul set him over the men of war. So David is doing exactly what King Saul says, because David, King Saul sees David as, he is awesome. I can use him. He can protect our kingdom. He's wonderful. So David is obeying the king. Verses 6 and 7. It happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine, that the women came out of the city singing and dancing to meet the King Saul, King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. The woman sang as they played and said, Saul has slain thousands, and David his ten thousands. So you have the celebration. They're coming back from war, but the lyrics of the celebration are not exactly what King Saul might have liked in his prideful heart. And what happens in verse 8? 
Then Saul became very angry, for this saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed David to ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? And so that began the recordings in his head that said, David is after me, David is after me, David is after me, David is after me, David needs to be removed, David needs to be removed, David is not good, David is not good, I need to kill David, I need to kill David. And verse 9 tells us that. Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Saul descends into madness against David and it cost him his life. And, and Becca, in a way, you were had to fight descending into that kind of madness because it became an obsession at one point. Right. right. Well, I mean, I really appreciate in the, in the soundbite, he talks about that it, this is your idol. You yeah. know, it's such a sobering thought because, you know, we think about idols like, oh, the golden calf. Oh, I don't have a golden calf or, or money because it's very tangible. But when you think about it, it's really the thing that you are really focused on and that desire it. And, and, and for Saul, you know, it was this this thing that he kind of constructed in his own head that, you know, that was his own destruction. And it's, I mean, Saul is such an extreme example on the one hand, but if our inner thoughts and feelings have created an idol out of our life pursuit, we have let sin overcome us, which is what happened to Saul. And that's why that uh, example, I think, is so powerful, is to not let those idols run who we are. And so idols, like you said, are not just those tangible things, but they can be built. They can be these edifices that are in our head and in our hearts and then completely derail us from where we're supposed to go. Very quickly, Jonathan, let's go through James 3, 13 through 17, because this really actually puts this all in perspective. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior and his deeds in gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder of every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. So in this verse, it helps us to understand bitter jealousy and selfish ambition break us, and the goodness of God restores us. Becca, go ahead. So I was just going to point out, you know, we're talking about changing these tapes. So what do you change them to, right? So the idea is that it's you're looking at the same life events, but changing your perspective on right. it. And that's really what's important. And and I don't know, Rick, if you want to talk about, you told me a great story about your brother and you and how you really changed your perspective and avoided jealousy in your own life because of how you changed, how you thought about what was going on with him. Yeah, yeah, very quickly that story. You know, when we were young, we used to love to play basketball. And my brother Dave was younger, two years younger than I. Uh, still is two years younger than I, as a matter of fact. <laughs> and and he used to play basketball with me and my friends. And what would happen is, because he was two years younger, he was always playing against people older than him. He got really good. Matter of fact, he got to be better than me. And that I just didn't like. And that was a hard thing for me because I'm the older brother. I'm supposed to be better. But when he played in his league and I played in mine, he was really good. And I was just kind of like, uh, you know, showing up for the game. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, it was a battle. And I remember thinking at one point very specifically, this is my brother. And I thought, I want him to be good. 
actually, I want him to be great. So instead of falling into this this thing about man, you know, I, sh- I should I shouldn't be this way. It's like you know what? I'm going to coach him. I'm going to tell him all the little things I see. I used to meet him at halftime during his games and say, "Hey, look, when you play defense, you know this guy. He always goes left. He dribbles twice, and he always goes there. Just be aware." And he would steal the ball inevitably. And so we and we had this thing when when they when he got to the championship, we had our meeting at halftime, and and it just was awesome because he the his team won because of him, and I got to support him in his excellence. And it wasn't me who was excellent, it was him, and I got to be a part of it. So instead of being jealous, I became a really proud brother because my brother accomplished something wonderful. And it was a huge change, and it bound us together. And I can't tell you what a, what a wonderful experience that was, and it, but it took a lot of work to get out of the, I can't stand the fact that he's better than me. <laughs> right. And imagine if Saul had just had that perspective. Yeah, what a different yeah. life he would have led. Absolutely. Absolutely. Completely, completely different. So, Jonathan, let's get wrap up this segment, Uprooting Jealousy and Envy in Relation to Changing the Recordings in Our Own Mind. Know where the challenge of envy and jealousy comes from. It is internal and it is based upon our own thinking. God's spirit will, if we let it, affect our minds and give us access to higher godly thoughts. Our jealousy issue is in our own head. It doesn't matter what someone else does, what someone else has, what someone else thinks, what they accomplish, what they're blessed with. It matters what's in my head. That's where the challenge lies. And and that's where Becca is talking to us about that's where your battle is. And if you fight the battle... Where the enemy is, you have a really good chance of defeating it. So my worst enemy is me. Great. That just made my day. Looks like I have a lot of work to do. We manage envy and jealousy by reworking habitual thinking and emotions. What else can we do? As we try to stay on track with research, sometimes you go down unexpected roads. That's part of education, debates, and differing opinions. You just can't take everyone at their word, and oftentimes you have to consider the other side of the story. That's why we're always asking our listeners to give their opinions on the questions we're answering. Message us at ChristianQuestions.com or through the Christian Questions app. Speaking of the other side, time to go in reverse with a CQ Contradiction. By now, it's obvious that envy and jealousy are real pain-in-the-neck problems. Not only do we need to challenge how we naturally think and feel, we also need to look deeper into the real results and outcomes of our many experiences. In other words, overcoming envy and jealousy requires an all-out assault. So just because it may be natural doesn't mean it is acceptable. And as a Christian, folks, that's a thought, that's a concept we have to get clearly in our heads. I don't care if it's natural. Is it acceptable before God? Jonathan, a really good quote from Harold Coffin. Envy is the art of counting other fellows' blessings instead of your own. And Rick, instead, shouldn't it be, like from Romans twelve fifteen, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Yeah, you know, that's a really good suggestion. It's amazing how the scriptures just give you the clarity of the answer 
if only we are willing to accept it and absorb it. But Rick, is there any such thing as good jealousy? Can that even be possible? You know, that's an awesome question, and we're going to answer that very clearly, but not yet. Okay, first, we got to get to the wrong kind of jealousy. And Becca, we've gone through three of your solutions. Your fourth solution is to count your blessings. Yes, that's right. Count your blessings. Okay, so so hang on. You know, we say that all the time. Christians always talk about the idea of, okay, count your blessing. It's a wonderful thing, you know, and and it, it gets said so often and thought so often, gee, I just should just count my blessings, I suppose, that I think we lose the power of it. So how does that transform someone in your situation where you had to fight such a such an awful, difficult sin in your life? You know, I know it does. It sounds trite. However, yeah. it's also one of those things. And, and, and sometimes it helps when I take a very macro view of everything. Right. So we should be thankful that we have life. If you can't be thankful for anything else, you should be thankful that you have life because there are so many things that we don't deserve. And that is one of it. I mean, really, God, it is because of his son that we're allowed to to have this opportunity to know him and to have this chance. And so to really step back and be thinking and focusing on, okay, so there's this one thing that I don't get to have, but what are all the things that I do get to have? What are all the ways that God has taken care of me, not only now, but all these times in the past? And through all these different trials and experiences, it it gives you a perspective of, okay, God has blessed me even amongst these other things that happened that were challenging and difficult. He surely can bless me and will bless me despite this one thing that I want that I'm not getting right now. So really what you're saying is counting your blessings, if you are doing it seriously, is a step of dramatic faith. Right. Because it's saying, I'm feeling a lack, but by counting my blessings, I am actually building a bridge over that lack to something bigger by right. God's grace. And, and and don't be distracted from those blessings because of our own personal wants. Again, coming from our will instead of God. See, that's enormous. What distracts us in this area? So don't be distracted by the thing that you don't have. Rather, be attracted by the blessings you do have. Very, very, very powerful. Let's go back to Alan Parr, The Secret of Slaying Envy and Jealousy. Um, this is his fourth point, again, which just fits exactly. You two didn't talk, right? No, no I, I've never <laughs> met him. I don't even know what he looks like. <laughs> anyway, his fourth point is to guard against ungratefulness. Number four is to guard against ungratefulness. In the Old Testament book of Numbers, the Bible says that the nation of Israel wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. And one of the reasons why that happened was because God was displeased because of their constant complaining about what they had. If you think about what God had done, God had given them water from a rock. He had given them manna from heaven. He had done miracles, led them through the Red Sea on dry land. But in spite of all of the things that God had done, they were still consumed about what they didn't have. And they complained about it constantly. And as a result, God did not allow them to move into the promised land into the next season of their lives. And so the same thing can happen to us whenever we find ourselves ungrateful and complaining about things. Actually, it can end up serving to hinder us from moving forward into what God has for us in the future. And so, uh, Becca, you had that experience where you felt like you were being hindered from moving forward until you made that shift inside your own head. 
right? I mean, is I think Israel is such a good example and lesson for all of us. I mean, look at all that they had, and they that wasn't enough. Imagine if they had just followed God and acknowledged it, how much more blessed they would have been had they been able to see that promised land. And we can't always see that for ourselves, you know, and that's where we have to trust God and trust that he has something for us. And it might not be that same blessing that we were hoping for, but surely for all of the things that we have seen in God, all the ways that he's blessed us, we can trust him for the things that we have not yet seen in our lives. And so counting your blessings is a much bigger thing than yeah. that trite little phrase. So uh, very quickly, one of the many strong examples of seeing blessings while harsh circumstances prevail. We look at the Apostle Paul. He's in prison while he's writing the letter to the Philippians. We're going to drop in on that experience, Philippians chapter 1, verses 13 to 18. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So Paul is in great dire circumstances, but he's saying, but it's inspired others. So it's got to be good because others now have more courage. Now, there's a flip side to that, verses 15 and 16. Some, to be sure are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So you've got some preaching Christ out of envy and some doing it for the right reasons. So the preaching of Christ is happening, and he's saying there's different things happening here. And then he describes a little bit about those preaching it out of envy in verse 17. And then, and the then, and then read 18 as well, I'm sorry. Okay, no problem. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me to stress in my pr imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. It's interesting he says it twice. You know, Christ is being preached at my expense but as long as Christ is being preached, I'm good. They preached out of envy, and the Apostle Paul is not envious of them. He's saying, at least Christ is being preached. That's a powerful example of counting your blessings where it doesn't look like a blessing exists. So even when some who envied Paul sought to do him harm, he found blessing. He did not envy their freedom. He basked in the glory of his witness opportunities while in chains. And Becca, you know, in your own experience, you were kind of in chains for a while, trying to break out of the of the patterns. And by counting your blessings, along with the other things you've mentioned, those were the steps that were necessary. And and you said they weren't necessarily ordered steps. You had to keep like doing them all together and 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 going back to different things to make sure that you could climb out. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, you look at Paul here. I mean, Paul, what a, what an amazing example. I mean, it's so hard to imagine that you're in prison. You're like, that's all right. This is for Christ, too. And, and you know, I will preach from here. You know, that's just it's it's another example of that blooming where you're planted. What what are the opportunities that I have where I'm at and how can I be thankful for where I am right now? Excellent. Absolutely. Excellent. OK, so Jonathan, uprooting jealousy and envy for this point of counting our blessings. Know why God is working with and blessing you through your trials. He seeks your personal growth in Christ so you may become ministers of reconciliation. See, the why of our trial 
is for our benefit. And if we're going to be jealous about somebody else while we're being fashioned for this ministry of reconciliation, we have completely missed the point. Completely. So it really does come down to reassessing and seeing things through God's eyes. Because like Becca said earlier, he has our future. He has our roadmap in his hands. We just need to follow his instructions as they appear. So, Becca, let's let's take a, a turn here. And, you know, you asked the question, Jonathan, earlier about is there such a thing as good jealousy? And the answer is yes, there is. And that sounds weird after all the things we've been saying about jealousy. So let's put this in order. First of all, good jealousy begins with God himself. Now, that sounds even more weird after all of the things like, no, we're away from jealousy. But wait, there's something different here. In the Old Testament, there are a couple of words uh, for jealousy. Specifically, one is only used in relation to God and describing God as jealous. So let's look at a couple of scriptures, Jonathan. Exodus 34, 14. For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. I mean, his name is Jealous, and he's a jealous God. And and the word means to be jealous. It comes from a word which means to be zealous. Uh, uh, Deuteronomy 4.24 For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. Again, and there are several scriptures that says God is jealous. Now, folks, there's a lot of people that are going to look at those scriptures and say, See? See? Look at your God. This isn't good. Hold your your conclusions until you understand the whole point. So the lesson here is God is fiercely loyal for his people. He's not going to sit idly by if they stray from him because their allegiance to him is the best thing possible for them. The difference is God is jealous for them, not about them or against them them. This is enormous. Let's take a look at Jesus. Is there good jealousy for us as well? Jesus had good jealousy. John 2, 16 and 17. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The word for zeal is one of those words for jealous in a positive way. Jesus was jealous for the house of God, for its sacredness. And he basically said, don't mess with my father's house. It is sacred. It must stay that way. Get out of here. I'm turning your tables over. You don't belong here. You're corrupting it. That's good jealousy. What about us? And and Beck, I'll come back to you after we finish the three examples. The apostle Paul was also jealous for his brethren. 2 Corinthians 11.2. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I betroth you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. So the Apostle Paul is saying, I have godly jealousy for you because I love you so much and I want you to be so pure before God and Christ. So Becca, After all you've said about bad jealousy, how do you respond to this? Well, there's good jealousy too. Right. Well, I mean, you, I think you just said it. It's for something. You think about the rest of jealousy, it's against someone, right? So there, there's, they're clashing. Of course, there's, you, you feel jealous against someone who's got something that you want and all that sort of thing. But, but for God, we want to be having those, 
be jealous for righteousness, for righteous things, for God, for Jesus. Those those kinds of things we absolutely should be jealous for because those, those should be the focus of our life versus being against all these other, you know, feelings of animosity towards other people because that just grows bad things inside of us. You know, and I think that this good jealousy actually grows out of counting your blessings because you count the, the good things that God has given you and you want to be protective and love on those things. And also then you can see the blessings given to others and you can reach out and be protective of their blessing as well. It's a yeah. powerful concept if we can get the good jealousy versus the bad. So Jonathan, just a final thought on this, this good jealousy part. Be jealous for all things godly, righteous, and having to do with complete fidelity to God. Make sure that you're jealous for something, not against something or somebody. And that can really help us to turn the tide. So if we count our blessings and pour our energy into godly jealousy, we can make some serious progress. Obviously, there are multiple steps involved in the battle against envy and jealousy. What are we missing? We're constantly looking to our listeners for your feedback on our weekly episode discussions. Let us know if you'd like to hear more topics like this one or new topical suggestions. Keep your comments coming at ChristianQuestions.com and our Facebook page. We're also talking about topics in Reddit, and you should check us out helping answer questions on Quora. That's Q-U-O-R-A.com. We're engaging in convo everywhere. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. So far, we've learned that the importance of knowing who you are, knowing that the when for your life is in God's hands, knowing where the challenge of envy and jealousy resides, and knowing why God is so focused on you. Now we need to examine the what and the how of our path to victory. Because, folks, it is a path that does lead to victory if we choose to take it. And it's a path that leads to not accepting and tolerating envy and jealousy, but leaving them out of our lives entirely. Quick quote, Jonathan, from Dennis Prager, and then we'll get down to it. Those who believe in nothing are very jealous and angry at those who believe in something. And, you know, we got to be careful that we don't fall into that category, you know, because it's so easy. We get stuck inside our own head listening to the recordings, Becca, that you were telling us about, and suddenly we're not believing in anything anymore. We're just running round and round in that idolatry of our own mind, and we're not coming out of it, and we've lost our grip, and then, and then we get consumed. It is horrible, horrible. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, Rick and Becca. What are the hardest and yet most effective things we can do to rid ourselves of envy and jealousy? So, Becky, you already talked about some really hard things to do. Um, let's do our final soundbite from the beat, Alan Parr, first. And then, Becca, you've got two more solutions that are really, really, really difficult. But his, his point here, in his fifth point, is what he calls the humility test. And finally, number five is what I'm calling the humility test. And so there may be some things in your life that God doesn't have for you, but then there may be some other things that God really desperately wants to do in and through your life. And the humility test is tough because if you're in a relationship with somebody that you are jealous and envious of, I want to encourage you to have the humility to have a conversation with them and actually confess that you are jealous and envious of them. And what you may find is that at first you may think that, man, maybe this is going to make the relationship awkward, but it actually 
actually has the other effect when you open up the lines of communication it actually draws you closer to that person it can also serve as an opportunity for them to show you why it is they may be at a certain place in their life and you may not if you're willing and humble enough to learn from them so he talks about this humility test and he puts a really really significant challenge uh, before all of us in terms of, of uh, envy and jealousy. So built upon that basis of humble honesty that he was just talking about, it brings us to the next uh, perhaps most difficult solution. So, so Becca, your fifth solution for battling and overcoming envy and jealousy is, is actually don't avoid what makes you jealous. Right, right. This now, isn't like. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I mean that sounds kind of contradictory. Should you, <laughs> yeah. you, you think like, well, I should really stay away from it because that way I'm not going to think about it. Right. It's right, and it's like that natural concept that you think about when you're in school, where you know you're fighting with someone, and the teacher, or your mom says, just you, you know, you can't. Get along, don't be around each other. But it, that's not reality. That's that's living in a bubble, right? Like imagining, you know, in my circumstance, well, I'm just not going to be around anyone who has children. That's just, that's not reality. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, and, and not only that, it's, it's counterproductive for yourself by isolating yourself and protecting yourself in that way. When really you should be growing through those things to be able to better deal with that and humbling yourself to realize it's not about you. It's not that these are joys and experiences that other people are having, and it has nothing to do with your own experience. It's how you are perceiving those things. You know, so for, for me, I would go out of my way to ask some of the, when I was going through this experience, I would go out of my way to ask how people were doing. Um, there were lots of baby showers that I went to. And the, the first was for my two coworkers. And I remember standing there in the middle of a Marshall's looking at baby clothing and like nearly crying in the middle of the store because it was so hard just standing there and, and understanding in that moment, this is not for me. And I just stood there and I took some deep breaths and I prayed and I got through that moment. And I saw at the end, nothing, I didn't explode. The world didn't end that, that it was better for me to be able to figure out how to maneuver and deal with these things rather than feeling like for the rest of my life, people are going to have to be in eggshells around me, which is not good either. So, and that's, look, that takes a lot of courage. It's plain and simple. It takes a lot of courage to face those things. And it's so easy to just want to hide and and I can imagine that every because this was happening around you all the time, honestly, there were probably a lot of failures along the way. Oh, absolutely. And I was going to say, you know, a big part of this, too, is also doing things in stages, right? Like you don't go all in and say, yeah, let me uh, let me babysit your kid and let me do this. Let me do, you know, yeah. all, you do too many things at once. And, yeah, it is going to overwhelm you. But doing things in stages, understanding that you will fail, but that you don't give up. You, you don't give yourself the space and the room to say, well, I don't know how to do this. This is just how I am. You don't give yourself an out. Okay, that's powerful. That's scary. You don't say this is just how I am. We ser- we we seek for godliness in how I am to become, and that's what we have to grab hold of. So this is a lot of humility here. Humility, by definition, is scary because it requires us to be exposed and vulnerable, and that's exactly what you're describing, Jonathan. Let's go to Philippians four eleven to thirteen because this really does fit. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. 
I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Rick, about that that last line, uh, verse 13, it doesn't mean you can do everything, does it? No, no, no. It, it's not about I can do anything in the world. What it is, it, he's, he's referring to what he just talked about. I know I can, I can accept God's providence in all circumstances, whether I'm in poverty, whether I am in, with prosperity, whether I'm able to have children, whether I'm not able to have children, I can do whatever God puts in front of me because Christ strengthens me. And Becca, that's your exact point about being courageous enough to not avoid what makes you jealous, but, but walk up to it. And even if you fall down, you said you can get up again. Absolutely. Okay, Jonathan, uprooting jealousy and envy. Uh, point, point for, uh, final point for that. Know what to do to face down the envy and jealousy in your life and apply that knowledge with strength of Christ and not your own. It's the strength of Christ and not yours, not mine, that overcomes the envy and the jealousy. And let's face it, my strength and my my uh, my my determination brought me to the envy and the jealousy. I need something bigger than me to help lift me out. So, Becca, as we begin to wrap up, your final solution here uh, in terms of dealing with envy and jealousy is to acknowledge your sin and pray for forgiveness. Now, again, that's one of those things that we always talk about. Oh, you've got to confess your sins and you've got to pray for forgiveness. That sounds so common. What does repentance from envy and jealousy look like in relation to acknowledging your sin and praying for forgiveness? Um, you, there's actually just a recent podcast that you, uh, you both did on this podcast, 1082, How Do I Live a Life of Repentance, which I think had some really great practical um, advice on how to do that. But it's, it's a daily thing that you do. It is a daily checking in with your mind and saying, Am I living the life I am supposed to be living? Am I am I doing the thing that I say that I'm doing? And checking that out in your own brain and how you're living your life. And if you realize that you're not, if you realize I am living in that sin, then you go and ask forgiveness and you work all these steps that we've been talking about. It's living your repentance. It's living trying to change. Okay, so... Then you worked on this throughout the whole experience. Right. And I imagine your prayers probably changed and developed as you went through the experience. Absolutely. Be- Absolutely. Because you were finding answers as you went. So it's, so just because we have it as a last solution doesn't mean, you know, we're, wait till the end and then pray. That's not what you're saying at all. No, I know this was step one. Absolutely. You know, this was really one. And this was a scripture that we'll read in a minute is the one that like was the light bulb clicking on for me saying, I've got to do something about this. This is not okay. Okay, so let's go back, and you referred to the scripture in Romans, but didn't want to read it earlier. Let's go to that scripture now. It's, again, this is the Apostle Paul. Not only acknowledges his sin before God, but he acknowledged those sins before his brethren as well. And this is an enormous step of humility and growth. Romans chapter 7, we're not going to read all the verses in the interest of time, verses 14, then 18 and 19, then 22 to 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, 
but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. And Becca, this reminds me of you at the beginning of your story. You're saying, yeah. you know, I, 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 I see something that's wrong and I want to fix it, but I don't know how. Right. Absolutely. That was that was the moment in which I heard and felt that I was like, oh, gosh, this is me, Paul. This is me. I just love that verse because it is so real. It is so exactly what we all feel on a daily basis with the sin living in us. So by taking again and you see how how powerful it is to look to Scripture and see the answers unfold exactly when we need them. But you know what, folks? They're not going to unfold unless you're looking for them. They don't just jump out at you and tap you on the shoulder when you're not open to them. So let's go a little bit further, uh, verses 22 to 24, to see how the apostle takes the next steps. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? So again, Becca, in your experience, the first part of these verses was, okay, there's something wrong. There's something radically wrong, and, I, and I've got to change it. And now in the second part, it's saying, I see the goodness of God's will in my life but I'm still not doing everything I'm supposed to. And it's, and then you have that contradiction, and you had to fight through that contradiction. How long, I, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but how long was this struggle for you in terms of days, months, whatever? Oh, gosh. I mean, from beginning to end, like probably a year and a half, two years. But really when I acknowledged this, it was probably a good six months of really working and thinking and praying on all of this. And it, I mean, for other people, it could take way longer. It could take years. You know, it depends on how long this is entrenched in our thinking and how hard we're really working to get it out. So this is not a quick fix. Envy and jealousy drain you, drip, 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 just slowly, slowly drain you and you don't even know it. And it's coming to the acknowledgement and then coming to the point of saying, okay, now I've got to think through it. And then it's coming to the point of saying, I need to take action. Verse 25 in these verses from Romans 7 kind of puts things in perspective. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh the law of sin. So, Becca, when you look at that particular verse, how how does that how does that resonate with you? You know, it's like, okay, I'm I'm doing two different things. What did that do for you in terms of putting this in order? It for me, it said, okay, so step one, I see the sin. I I have to ask for forgiveness, but now what? I gotta do something about it because I can't I can't be allowing this sin to be driving my life. That is not what my life is supposed to be about. And so I have to figure out a way, a, a process to eradicate this from my life. So it's under it's the humility to say something's wrong, something must change. And then the humility to move forward and find, identify the things that you can do to make a change. And then the humility and the courage to actually do 
those things. And folks, that's really what we've been talking about in this entire podcast. Am I a jealous Christian? Do I need to go through this process? And the answer probably is, yeah, probably more than you'd like to admit. Okay, Becca, go ahead. Uh, the one thing I did want to point out, and this was in the soundbite, and it, it's not necessarily its own step in the process, but for me, one of the things that really helped me actually was talking to you, Rick, was really confessing this sin to you and having some sort of accountability, feeling like someone's going to hold me accountable to make sure that I am moving along this road towards a betterment of myself. And I think that that really helped me in terms of being able to continue to move forward and have you check in on me, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. And, you know, accountability, accountability to God is really important through Christ. Absolutely the most important thing. But when we get serious about difficulties in our lives, oftentimes finding someone that you can trust who will have your best interest in mind is such a powerful tool. And that's what one of the things we have to look for. Jonathan, what's our final uprooting jealousy and envy point in relation to uh, acknowledging our sins and praying for forgiveness? Know how to stand up again as a forgiven follower of Christ so we may walk the path of sacrifice daily with courage and conviction. Know how to stand up again because sometimes we fall. And that's the beauty of being a Christian. We fall and we can get back up. So, Becca, I know this is practically impossible, but I'm going to ask you anyway. In a minute or less, sum up your experience and the encouragement and and, and the the focus that you'd like to leave us with today. So, uh, for me, overcoming jealousy is a process. It doesn't come easily. It takes real work on our part, but it is possible. A big part of jealousy is catching it before it gets out of control, kind of like weeds in a garden. When when the weeds pop up, you got to pull them out right away because the longer you ignore them, the more that they're going to grow and sap the energy from whatever it is that you are trying to grow. And, you know, if we stay on top of those weeds of jealousy from the very start, you know, it, it requires honesty ourselves. Satan is looking for ways to trip you up and to make you fall, but you can't let him. Acknowledge your sin, repent, pray, and do the hard work with the strength from God that you can use to overcome jealousy in your life. I'm a big believer in action, so you know you do the work until everything else catches up to where you want it to be. Because if the desire is there to be better, it means it's just a matter of time until things actually change. All right, so you really have put it in perspective. It's a matter of time if we choose for it to be a matter of time in a godly way. Becca, thanks so much for being courageous enough to tell a really hard story that God has blessed you with a victory in. And I hope it can help someone else overcome the same. I think it already has. Folks, listen, jealousy and envy are part of us doesn't mean you say, okay, so they're part, just let it be. It means to be Christ-like is to attack them and overcome them because Satan finds his way into our hearts through those kinds of things. Becca has shared with us experiences that show us practically, what do you do? How do you overcome it? And it can be done. Am I a jealous Christian? That's the question. Think about it. Folks, listen, 
We really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us, review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. And coming up next week, we'll be talking about Are Jesus' ransom and our salvation the same? That's an odd question. It's got a great answer. Talk to you next week. <laughs>